do everything on my own. See ya! Bye! I don't think we figured in his day at all. Hey there, Aaron. Is it true you didn't tell anyone where you were going? On April 26, 2003, climber Aaron Ralston entered Utah's Blue John Canyon only to become trapped when an 800-pound boulder shifted, crushed his hand, and pinned him to the canyon wall. For six days, Ralston struggled to free himself while warding off dehydration and hypothermia. Trapped, Facing certain death, Ralston chose a final option that later made him an international sensation. Using a multi-tool, <sighs> you guys, using a multi-tool, the climber amputated his right hand, then repelled to freedom. Uh, Ralston would eventually write a, a book, an account of his experience titled Between a Rock and a Hard Place, and later it would be made into a movie entitled 127 Hours, which you saw a piece of the trailer. Uh, I've not seen that movie, nor do I endorse it. However, I find that story, true story, to be absolutely fascinating. Good morning, church. Glad you guys are here on this uh, first day of spring. Um, I understand that in about five minutes, it actually becomes uh, the official first day of spring. Thank you, somebody after the nine o'clock service to let me know when it actually takes place. Anyway, um, I know that was kind of a weird little video, or maybe a weird story to start our teaching off with today, but I think it, it parallels. It goes really well uh, with the hard truth that we're going to be talking about um, today in today's teaching. You see at Fork here, we've started this series. We're in the middle of it. Uh, it's entitled Hard Truths from Jesus, where we've been looking at these truths, things that Jesus had to say to those who would choose to follow after him. Uh, these were the things that we're supposed to be living out in our day-to-day -day relationship with him. But they're truths that Jesus gave us, which are downright hard. This morning, I'm going to remind you, as I did when we began this series a few weeks ago, that just as it was for the early believers, so too it is for us today that uh, just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's bad. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not beneficial for the kingdom or, or best for the individual or best for the church or it's just hard doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's hard. Hard doesn't mean that we don't have enough faith. It doesn't mean that we can't obey it. It doesn't mean that we don't want to obey it. It just simply means it is a hard truth. If you guys remember, even Jesus' most close followers uh, found him at times thoroughly confusing, frustrating. He spoke of a kingdom and a world and a life that was totally upside down from their normal way of thinking. He upset the established routines of religious propriety, how to act, how to relate, how to serve, how to worship God. He even spoke of God in such terms of intimacy that people accused him of blasphemy. In his teaching, Jesus raised a lot of eyebrows and raised the hair on the back of people's necks, and he asked an awful, or he raised an awful lot of questions. Jesus raised questions, and he spoke truth. He spoke hard truth. 
And you and me, as we learn through this series, and hopefully as you're reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, getting to know Jesus on your own, hopefully as you read the words of Jesus, that when it comes to hard truths, you'll recognize that some truths are just hard to understand. Some truths are hard to understand, but then there are these other truths that are easy to understand, but are so very hard to actually live by. But no matter which type of hard truth you and I encounter, if we let them, understanding those truths and allowing them to come into our lives can change everything. Let's pray. Jesus, once again, we tackle one of those hard truths that you said. One of those hard truths that came out of seemingly nowhere and probably took your readers, your listeners, very much off guard and certainly takes us your readers off guard. But they're words from you, Jesus. They're your truths. So as we choose to follow after you, as we choose to chase you, as we choose to seek you and pursue relationship with you, help those truths to change us, to be more like you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. I wonder, friends, do you have a favorite soapbox? Now, I don't mean a literal soapbox, but I mean when I talk about soapbox, it's that figurative place where you like to go on a rant, where you can easily start pitching a fit about an injustice or something you simply don't agree with. Do you have a favorite platform? I'm not talking a little stage like I get to stand on here, but a moment or an occasion where you get to wax poetic or wax eloquent about something, a subject that is valuable or important to you. See, I think a lot of us have those things that are very near and dear to us, right? They seem to be so important that we will repeat them over and over and over again. Just about anybody who will give us a listen. And whether it's politics or poverty or sports or movie stars, whether it's COVID or the Kremlin, see, once we get started on our little soapbox, sometimes it's hard for us to stop. And sometimes it's just kind of a habit, you know, we kind of get going, we get started, we don't know how to put the brakes on. Or maybe it's because we, well, we always think that we're always right. And we just think somebody else, whoever we're talking to, needs to see things exactly our way. Or maybe we just really like to hear ourselves talk. Now, I saw a couple of little sideways glances there. Just remember, whoever you just gave the stink eye to, you've got to ride home in the same car with them after the service is over. But maybe, just maybe, maybe what we have to say, maybe the point that we're trying to make, maybe the truth that we are trying to declare, maybe it's so profound. It's so important. It's so life-changing that it's worth repeating. I believe today's hard truth from Jesus is just one of those. We're going to be starting out in the book of Matthew today. If you've got your phone and, and they've got a Bible on there, you've got your paper Bible, go ahead and feel free to turn to Matthew. We're going to start in chapter 5. If you don't have a paper Bible, but you'd like to have one, we've got some back in the back next to the connector. They're on a rack back there. Feel free to grab one, put your name in it, take it home, mark it up. It's yours. 
Um, sometimes if you're taking notes, it's easier to keep your notes going with your pen and then follow along on the screen while the slides going up behind us here with those scripture passages. But we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Words of Jesus. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Flip over a few pages. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 18. Completely different setting. Completely different circumstance. Completely different crowd probably. But Matthew 18 starting in verse 7. Jesus again says, What sorrow awaits the world? Because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. So, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Well, I ask you all this morning, do you find that to be a hard truth? Those of you that did it nod yes, wake up. That's a hard truth. That's tough. Um, I think it's extreme. It seems a little over the top, maybe just a tad crazy. But think about this. Think about the soapbox that's worth standing on, a platform that is worth getting on top of, talking about a truth that Jesus is declaring that is so profound, so important, and so life-changing that he repeats it. Matthew records this different sort of teaching two different times, right? Because it takes place in two separate circumstances, two separate settings, two separate contexts. Matthew records it twice, Mark records it, and though we only have it listed three times in our Gospels, I'm guessing that this is one of those truths that Jesus repeated over and over as he is dealing with the sin in people's lives. And so today, as we process these hard truths of Jesus, truths that were so worth repeating, we have to ask ourselves, do you think Jesus had a point that he was trying to make? Did Jesus have a point that he wanted to make? One of my buddies would say, you think? You think? Matthew chapter 5. It's early in Jesus' ministry. And Jesus is speaking to the crowds who had gathered on this hillside that day. It would be kind of like picture, you know, Federal Hill, right? And there's a whole summer afternoon and a great crowd of people there. And Jesus says, huh, there's a good hillside. Let me go sit on that thing. And I'm going to start talking. And soon the crowds had gathered around him to hear exactly what he had to say. Now, we call this the Sermon on the Mount because, well, it was a sermon on the side of a mountain. And during this teaching time, Jesus throws down a lot of hard, even radical sayings about kingdom living. He spoke about attitudes for finding true life. And in most of the words that he had to speak that day that we have recorded for us, he busted a lot of preconceived notions that people had about what it meant to love others and what it meant to love God. 
later on, we read in the 18th chapter, those verses, his words were there. They were addressed to his closest disciples, but certainly they were available for anybody who was in earshot. Matthew 5, among other things, Jesus is relating these words to inappropriate sexual relationships. And in Matthew 18 and in Mark 9, he relates them to inappropriate attitudes about self-importance and of greatness and about the effect that our sins can have on others, especially people who are new in the faith and children. If your right eye causes you to stumble, he says, gouge it out. Throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. The same with your foot. This is a hard truth from Jesus. And I think we all understand that, well, it's probably not talking about physical, genuine, literal amputation. But it's clear that Jesus is saying if it causes you to stumble... If it causes you to sin, if it causes you to fall, if there is something in your life that separates you from God or that separates another person from God, cut it off. Get rid of it. Remove it. It's better to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to go to hell. A couple weeks ago when we started this series, we started with the words that Jesus has called us, if we want to be his disciples, that we are to deny ourselves, that we are to give up ourselves. We're to take up our cross. We are to follow after him. Last week, we talked about denying ourselves, giving up ourselves, denying our right to hurt, to hate, and to retaliate so that we could learn to forgive 70 times 7. And if you thought that teaching was tough, and because of the conversation I've had with so many people this week, many of you did. You found that to be a hard teaching. If you thought that one was tough, this one, well, it might be even tougher. Jesus says if it makes you stumble, if it makes you fall, if it makes somebody else sin, if it makes somebody else fall, get rid of it. Cut it off. Remove it. Jesus Could not have been more serious. And there had to be a good reason why he would repeat this this saying, why he would repeat this message, and why this message would be so strong. Friends, I believe that for you and for me, that our willingness to obey this hard truth of Jesus will not only make a difference in our own faith journey, but it will make a difference in the lives of those that we encounter and that we impact and that we influence as well. And that when we as a church begin to take these words seriously, it will make a difference in our community and will make a difference in the kingdom for eternity. You see, Jesus says, if it causes you to stumble, cut it off. Now, again, was Jesus really talking actual physical amputation? Was Jesus really talking about cutting and gouging, you know, axes and pruners and machetes and chainsaws and multi-tools and dandelion diggers? I mean, is that really what he meant? I don't think so. But if you think that's what he's meant, the deacons have brought their tools, we'll meet you up here after the service, and we'll take care of the offending parts. All right? Just kidding. But he said, cut it off. Think about it. I wonder, do you know anybody who is an amputee? You don't have to raise your hand, but I I know a few. You know, people who are missing a body part, right? Right? My buddy Jim is missing the lower half of his leg. 
My friends Bill and Carl, each missing a toe. My boy Jordan was born without a hand, right? Just had a little nub there, right? Uh, personally, I'm not missing any fingers or toes. However, I'm missing my three front teeth. These are fake, um, but that's another story for another day. Doesn't really count as an amputation. Um, but see, think about it. Sometimes we are missing a body part because we are born without it. Sometimes we're missing a body part due to an accident or an injury. But nobody in their right mind chooses to cut off a perfectly good finger or toe or hand or foot or arm or leg, right? Just for grins. Nobody does that, right? That's ludicrous. How dumb is that? But we will. Willfully. Sometimes even reluctantly. But we'll do it. We will cut off a body part that is full of an incurable infection. We will cut off a body part that is reeked with invasive cancer. We will cut off a body part that is attacked by some other disease that if left unchecked would both destroy the part and our very lives as well. Jesus said, if it caused you to sin, cut it off. Remove it. You see, when Jesus talks about removing the sin in our life and those things that cause it, he was fully aware of the damage that sin plays on our lives. He's aware of how much damage sin has on our marriages and our families. Yes, even on his body, the church. Jesus knew when he would talk about the severity of removing sin, he knew that when sin entered the world that it created a chasm, a gulf, a separation between us and God the Father. He knew the impact of sin throughout history, that it impacted individuals' lives, it impacted relationships, it impacted communities, why sin even caused the destruction of nations. And when Jesus talked about the severity of removing the sin and the things that cause it in our own life, I'm sure that full well in his mind, he recognized and knew that there would come the day that he would hang on a cross, that he would take our punishment, that he would pay the price so that our sins, those very same sins, could be forgiven. So when he said, gouge it out, cut it off, remove it, was in all serious, all seriousness. Now, as I read this hard truth, I recognize that his words about the removal of an offending body part are really about me willfully choosing to remove anything in my life that stands in the way of my relationship with Jesus. Let me say that again. His words about the removal of an offending body part are really all about me willfully choosing to remove anything in my life that stands in the way of my relationship with Jesus. Jesus said that if we want to be his disciples, that it would require, it would be necessary for us to give up. It would be necessary for us to deny ourselves, to be willing to die to parts of ourselves that don't look like him. Or love like him. Before preparing for this teaching today, I'd really never given it a lot of thought about what it would be like to actually lose a body part. Eesh. But I have given a lot of thought, even before this, to what it would look like to lose the things that cause me to sin. 
So when I process this idea of losing a body part and, and how it relates to the removal of sin in my life, I consider the outcomes that one might experience. And these are some that I came with. See if maybe you can relate. I believe that it will be awkward. It will be inconvenient. It will be costly. It will be embarrassing. But it will be worth it. I think it'd be awkward. I mean, especially depending on what body part you lose. Hollywood has done a really good job of replacing missing body parts with robot tech, right? I mean, you think of Cyborg, you know, the Justice League, DC Universe. We think of, you know, Boba Fett's crew, you know, the mods, right? These disenfranchised youth who are modified with droid parts, you know? It all looks so seamless and flawless and like the perfect fit. But if you ask most any amputee, they'll tell you that though prosthetics are constantly improving, they're not 100% substitute for the real thing. Certainly, they don't make or they don't make you look or feel 100% lifelike. Clothes and shoes, they don't always fit right. Water parks and beaches, well, any place where the stump or that, that fake limb are visible, where they bring out those moments where kids gawk and stare. <clears throat> And older people simply don't know what to do, how to act, or what to say. I remember as a young child, my very first experience with someone who had lost uh, any part of their body. My great-grandfather, was a, uh, he was a pastor, but he was also a railroad cop. And um, he was, uh, you know, sometime when he was a young man, he was hopping onto a moving train. And uh, there was a wheel that was rolling, and his foot got severed, right? right in front, you know, the whole front of his foot came off. And, uh, you know, I remember as a kid... You know, my great-grandfather lived with us, and I would see that he had this uh, wooden prosthesis that he made. It would go inside of his shoe, you know. When he wasn't wearing it, we'd just run around the house. It was just kind of a stump, you know, kind of creepy and cool all at the same time for a little kid. <clears throat> you know, it was awkward sometimes, though. But giving up what causes us to sin, well, that can be awkward, too. You see, when you have to move the computer out of the bedroom and into the front room or the living room where everybody can see what's on the screen and you have to explain why, well, that's awkward. When our friends ask us, well, how come you don't want to go to the club or, or go to that party on Friday night, you know, like we always do, it's awkward. When we're having a conversation with the girls and we have to shut it down because it's turned gossipy or judgmental or inappropriate, it'll be awkward. I look around this room, I don't see anybody on crutches or with a sling or a cast on. There are a couple of people at the 9 o'clock. But uh, if you've ever worn one of those, you know, just that temporary inability to use your leg or your arm, or you find out it's inconvenient. But think how much more inconvenient if you didn't have that wing or that leg at all, right? I mean, I've been there. You've seen me on stage with my arms all braced up and stuff. It's tough. It's inconvenient. But cutting off a limb, again, more inconvenient. Driving is a trouble. Eating can be a trouble. Swimming, right? Texting, zipping your hoodie, buttoning your jeans, shaking hands, playing sports, tying your shoes, even wiping your <laughs> nose. What were you guys thinking? See, cutting off your sin will be inconvenient as well. You may have to take the long way to get to work to avoid going past that strip club you're always tempted to stop at. You know, you might have to find a new ride home from practice because when you get in the car with your buddies, instantly the weed gets out and gets passed around. 
Or maybe you have to find a new roommate situation because the girls you live with create an environment where you just keep losing the battle to stay sober. It'll be inconvenient. See, losing a limb, though, too, it's quite expensive. A new leg, an artificial leg, has a cost. The price for a fake leg is between $10,000 and $70,000. And they have to be replaced every few years. And that's not including surgery to repair the, addition, the, the, the damage or any additional therapy or modifications to your house or to your car or other health care expenses. Friends, there's a cost to cutting off your sin as well. Your popularity and your status might just take a dive. You might be labeled or bullied even because you no longer act how you once acted or you no longer are who you once were. You may have to get a different career, turn down a promotion because you're being asked to lie or deceive as part of the job. You may lose your boyfriend. You may lose your best friend. It'll be costly. Losing a limb, well, it can also be embarrassing. I mean, nobody looks forward to the eye patch or a glass eye or a hook or a post or, you know, um, any of those things. Especially if you lose a limb or you lose a part of your body because of something dumb that you did. Because you did something stupid and you caused it. But see, though, no matter why we're missing a body part, anything that makes us different from people around us, it has the potential to make us feel embarrassed. Embarrassed by our pain, embarrassed by our plight, embarrassed by our limitations, even embarrassed by the way it looks. Friends, I want to remind you that removing sin may be embarrassing too. When you explain to your wife why you can no longer watch certain movies, when you Tell your boss why you need to take leave for that treatment program. When you show up at the counseling office for the very first time, when you tell your accountability group what happened on that last business trip, when you tell your pastor the real reason that your husband is filing for divorce, it'll be embarrassing. Jesus says, if it causes you to sin, if it causes you to stumble, then remove it. How serious was he? The real question is, how serious are we? How serious are we? It's awkward. It's inconvenient. It's costly. It's embarrassing. I mean, honestly, there are probably times where it might just be easier to remove the offending part of your body than to actually make the life change that's required. You think about this time when your eyes causes you to covet or to cheat or to lust. When your hand hits your wife or hits your kid or steals what's not yours or touches your girlfriend or your boyfriend inappropriately. When your foot leads you down paths that Jesus never called you to follow and you would be embarrassed if anybody else would come along and follow in your footsteps. Jesus said, if it causes you to sin, cut it off. I see the reality is we probably institutionalize or at least require massive amounts of counseling and therapy if we willfully removed those body parts. 
But I think we all realize at the core that Jesus understood to make this extreme illustration because he understood the cost of casual commitment. He understood the price of complacent Christianity. He recognized the damaging impact that a life of sin has and the toll that it takes on us as individuals and the toll that it takes on our families to those we know and to those that we love. And listen, we don't have to be rocket scientists to figure this one out. But we know the problem is not with the eye. It's really not with the hand. The problem is not with the foot. They're not the issue. The issue lies in the heart. The problem lies in the heart. And it's only when we choose to turn that heart over to God that he will help us to control the offending parts. Not so that we could be free to keep sinning, but as the Apostle Paul says, so that we could be set free from sin. Paul, who was a persecutor of Christians, persecutor of the church, convert to a follower of Jesus Christ, great evangelist, great missionary, wrote most of our New Testament part of our Bibles. He wrote to a church in Rome in chapter 6, Romans chapter 6. He says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined with him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, as just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Paul is quite clear. He recognizes that we choose to remove the sin from our life. We choose to cut off those pieces that are keeping us from a relationship with Jesus Christ. That we will experience new life. And we don't always like the process. We don't always want the process. We don't always think we need the process. But by removing it, by denying ourselves, we recognize it will be worth it. It'll be worth it. When Aaron Ralston was asked the question regarding when did he decide to start amputating his arm, he stated this. He says, after having enough sleep deprived, meandering thoughts about how I arrived in the canyon, I realized my situation as a result of decisions that I had made. I chose to go out there by myself. I chose not to tell anyone where I was going. And I chose not to go with the two climbers I had met in the canyon on the first day, church, friends, we are at a point where we must decide what we are going to do with the decisions that we have made. Just like Aaron, our bad choices either lead us to the point of death by entrapment or freedom by amputation. Ralston goes on to say, but I also realized that I'd made all the choices up to that point that helped me survive. I took responsibility for my decisions, which helped me take the responsibility of getting myself out. Today, my friends, we need to take the responsibility of getting ourselves out. When we realize that sin has us, has us stuck between a rock and a hard place, or that it's about to stick us there, or that we are tempted to allow it to, we need to amputate it. That is what is necessary in order to find our way out in order to find our way to freedom. Because if we let it, 
if we take this hard truth to heart, understanding it and putting it into our life will change everything. Let's pray. Jesus, that is a hard truth. That's a hard one. Because it's not easy to let go. We'd rather hang on to the things that we're familiar with sometimes than to let them go and trust you with our lives. We'd rather hang on to the things that trap us and ensnare us because we're comfortable with it instead of trusting you to bring us the new life that you've promised. And we know that we just can't suck it up and fix all those things by ourselves. We can't just let it go by our own strength and our own power. That only comes from your power. But we trust you, Jesus, that you're not going to ask us to do something. You're not going to call us to do something or be something or be someone that you are not willing to equip us to do. You're not going to ask us to be obedient, and you're not going to provide the help for us to do that. So we're thankful that you don't abandon us or leave us alone to figure it out, that by your Holy Spirit we can make the changes necessary, that we can get rid of it, that we can cut it off, that we can remove it. Help us to do that, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.